0: Shedding light on the inner life of the soul. <laughs> okay, so tonight, Bezra Sashem, we're going to be continuing with our series of Shirim on the inner world of addiction. And the title of this week's class is going to be Brokenhearted. Now, brokenhearted is a rough translation of the Hebrew term lev a broken heart. And what we're going to see in this week's class is something that we already spoke about in the first two classes. That when it comes to being metapel, when it comes to dealing with the soul of an individual, and the soul of the individual includes the choyli the hanefesh as well, the forms of soul illness, of mental illness, the illness of the mind, with all of its physiological and neurobiological propensities, is still, at least for our purposes, going to be considered choyli hanefesh, a, a, an issue that is not necessarily physical, but an issue that can be referred to almost as a spiritual issue or an issue of the spirit, of the soul, of consciousness, of the mind. Now, when we spoke in the first year about the famous Ramban, Nachmanides' statement regarding the bitter waters and Moshe Rabbeinu's ability to sweeten the bitter waters with a bitter tree to show that the way that Hashem cures something is not from elsewhere. As if there's a sickness, and then this sickness needs a cure that comes from an entirely other place of a makom achir. But rather that when Hashem speaks about curing illnesses, when Hashem speaks about curing the Marirus, the bitterness, there's a sweetening of the bitterness through bitterness itself. Or, like Chazal tells us, that Mine ube, it comes from within itself when discussing the unique phenomenon of the fact that from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. When describing the paradoxical sense that within the issue itself ri- rises the cure of the issue, that is how Hazal are going to see the curative process of fixing, of being metakine, a lot of issues. That it is not from elsewhere that the cure needs to come. The cure does not need to be something separate and distinct and apart from the illness itself, but rather within the illness, within the potency of the experience of addiction or fallenness or brokenness and all of the descriptions that we've utilized until now, there exists the potency of the cure itself. That the, from the forest itself, from the wood of the forest itself, which for our purposes can be considered the illness, comes the handle of the axe. The forest itself gives birth to that which is going to take down the forest. The illness itself gives birth to the tools that are going to be necessary to sweeten the illness from within itself. Now, this is expressed in multiple places in different ways, but one of the primary sources that discusses this unique phenomenon when approaching mental illness, when approaching psychological distress, whether it's in the form of the possibility or the potential towards addiction or in the full manifestation of addiction itself, instead of looking elsewhere for the cure, instead of looking in faraway places for how to fix or how to cure or how to approach the question of addiction, the wisdom of Chazal, the wisdom of Hasidus, the wisdom of, of Judaism says that instead of looking in faraway places, all a person needs to do is gaze long enough into the illness itself. Because within the illness, within the mania itself, within the tzara, within the prevention and within the constriction, there abides and there rests the potential of moving out of that constriction. Something that Rabbi Nasan of Nimerov, the scribe and the main disciple of Rabbi Nachman would state over and over and over again, especially in the writings in his letters that he wrote to his son Yitzchak, he writes that, when David HaMelech in Tehillim says that in my pain you have opened up my pain, he says that this can be understood in two different ways. It could be understood as a sequential pattern that a person finds themselves in distress, finds themselves in pain, And then after the fact, after that pain has been experienced, there comes about a harchava, an openness, a a vastness, that the person is capable of leaving that space of pain. But Rabbi Nassim says that that is not the proper way of interpreting this. The proper way to interpret the pasuk of b'tzar harchavdali, that in my pain you have opened things up for me, that I have found vistas and possibilities within my negative experience as well, Rabbi Nassim says that it is a be it is within itself, so that the cure is not some secondary stage in the process that emerges after the illness, but within the, pro- the potencies and the propensities of the illness itself, of addicted nature, of being stuck in something, of being enslaved to something, there lies and abides the potential and the possibility of the cure itself. Now, what we discussed last week was the type of soul, the type of nishama, the type of archetypal making that finds itself stuck within the interiority and exteriority of addiction. When I say exteriority of addiction, I mean addiction in all of its physical manifestations with the symptoms of abuse, misuse, substance dependency, and eventually the horrific and abject experience that the addict experiences. And when I say internal, what I'm referring to is what I've described as the possibility or the potential towards addiction. Because in spite of the fact that not everybody is addicted, everybody as human being, quo human being, lives with the possibility of becoming addicted. Because like we said in the sheer last week, addiction is nothing but the response to a spirit or a soul or a personality that seeks more from this world than this world has to offer, and therefore they find themselves stuck in broken promises of substances and toxic entities that provide a feeling of well-being that the individual cannot find elsewhere. In this week's shear, when we discuss brokenheartedness and the aspects of the personality that find themselves stuck in addiction, we're going to really be highlighting very strongly this teaching that we started off with from the Ramban, from Nachmanides, that when approaching addiction, or really any of the potential forms of psychological distress that lead up to addiction, or are representative of addiction, in the sense that it's a bakhina, it's an aspect of addiction, what we're going to find is that very often When we understand the pegam, when we understand the issue, when we understand the sickness itself, we are already accessing the tools that will be needed to exit the issue. That within the phenomenology of addiction itself, the individual can find the relief and the recovery opportunities from within addiction from addiction. That within addiction, within the lived experience of addiction, within the worldview of the addict, there lie certain behavioral patterns, certain attitudes, that in and of themselves have the ability of elevating a person out of the space of addiction and giving birth to an experience of chayrus, of freedom, and emergence out of the abject nature of addiction into the expanses of possibility and recovery. Now, one of the places this becomes most clear is in the teachings of the balshemtov and really these teachings of the balshemtov are based in the last mishnah in sefer yitzira where it says that ein me oneg veein lamata menega there is nothing loftier there is nothing higher than the experience of oneg which can roughly be translated as pleasure but it doesn't simply mean pleasure in the craft sense of the word in terms of physical or bodily pleasure, but it means pleasure in the most psychoanalytic sense of the word in terms of the number one or most essential drive that pushes human experience. There is a long-standing machlokes, an argument, amongst the different tzaddikim and Chabad chassidus in particular, especially the Alta Rebbe and the Rebbe Rashab, as to what is the crowning space, what is the most fundamental space within human experience? Is it the space of ratzon, of desire and will? Or is it the space of ta'anug, of pleasure and joy? Now, either way you look at this machlokes, ta'anug and pleasure seems to be the engine that drives most of human experience that what we seek in life is the pleasure principle. We seek to find relief from the conditions of this world. We seek to find enjoyment, not simply physical enjoyment, but an enjoyment that speaks to the soul itself. So Ein me oneg, there is nothing higher than oneg, vein me nega, but there's also nothing lower than nega. Nega, which textually speaking, represents sara'as, leprosy, but spiritually speaking represents the condition that any individual finds themselves in, where because of this condition, because of this abjectness, where a person is forced to confront the illness of their spirit and their body, the individual is cast out beyond the community, cast out beyond the space of human interaction into desolation, into isolation and loneliness. This nega, this nega tsaraas, this blemish of the spirit, this blemish of the mind, which can be used as a metaphor for any type of illness for which we have no cure yet, because it remains part and parcel of the human condition, this is the polar opposite of oneg. Ein lamala me oneg, there is nothing higher than oneg. Vein lamata me nega. Now, what the Balshemtov and his students point out, that this equation is not simply happenstance, but the truth of the matter is that oneg and nega share the same letters, they share the same building blocks, the spiritual building blocks that make up the word oneg, the ayin, the nun, and the gimel, also make up the word nega. That the conditions and the spiritual building blocks and the phenomenological experiences of the psyche in this world that make up the primal experience of pleasure in its truest sense are the same constituents, the same constitutive elements that comprise the experience of nega, of deprivation and despair, an an abjectness where a person finds themselves cast out into desolation and isolation, coming to show that these two poles of experience, this bipolarity of our lives, are not two separate entities, but they are part and parcel of the same experience, and very often it is dependent on our interpretation and our way of forming the letters and forming this experience that gives birth to how we react to it. So when looking at the condition of addiction, and in particular in this week's shir, lev Nishbar, the broken heart, what we're going to find is that within the curse itself, within the brokenness of the broken heart, of the lev Nishbar, we're also going to be speaking about and touching upon aspects that will give birth to recovery that we will see that lev Nishbar, that brokenheartedness, is not simply a negative stance that a person finds themselves in, but rather it is a fundamental attitude that the individual who is seeking spiritual potency and intensity and recovery and health in their lives needs to confront and utilize in order to move out of the space of darkness and into the space of light. Now, To begin with, we're going to be discussing the negative aspects of this broken heartedness. That, practically speaking, when confronting the lived experience of addiction in the day-to-day, real-world experience of addicts in all of their manifold forms, what is nearly a given is that addicts and alcoholics typically suffer from co-occurring disorders. Meaning to say that the rules of fairness when it comes to illness are not real. That simply because you're sick with one thing doesn't mean that you're not going to be sick with another thing. And that almost always, aside from specific types of addiction, the addiction that a person experiences, the stuckness and the attachment to a substance that alters the mind, offering a false sense of well-being, is nearly always a form of self-medicating an attempt of the subject to find relief from the pain of everyday life. Now, sometimes this pain of everyday life is very severe in terms of a capital T trauma, and sometimes this pain of life is deeply subjective in terms of a lowercase t trauma. The capital T traumas that the individuals who find themselves in addiction often suffer are what we would diagnose as traumatic experiences when a person's life or the life of a loved one is put into clear and present danger and a person is no longer capable of aligning their past experience before the trauma with the experience after the trauma that on a certain level a void or an abyss has opened up that now a person needs to cross over this uncrossable abyss this void that a person needs to be able to leap beyond their experience in order to come to terms with that trauma or it can be a lowercase t trauma in the sense that The basic pains of everyday life, day in and day out, over time affect an individual to the extent that they no longer trust the order of day to day life and they no longer expect things to be safe or comfortable for them. Whichever way a person finds themselves suffering, addiction is almost always a response to the inner pain that the addict or the alcoholic is experiencing. Meaning to say, the issue of addiction has much less to do with the drug of choice or the object of choice or the behavior of choice or the thought pattern of choice that a person is stuck in and much more to do with the experiences of that individual that have led them to seek relief from day-to-day life. So the question of addiction is not so much why are you seeking escape in these behaviors that are destructive, because that's obvious to a certain extent. All addicts and alcoholics experience a certain level of pain. And addiction, or substance abuse, or any type of addiction, or the potential towards addiction, is always already a response to a certain amount of pain. I like to say to my clients on a regular basis that contrary to the popular notion that addicts and alcoholics simply enjoy the experience of intoxication more than other individuals, we need to reanalyze or review the concept of addiction. Addicts and alcoholics do not enjoy getting high more than other individuals. Addicts and alcoholics suffer in sobriety more than other individuals. Being aware, being self-aware, being in touch with themselves for whatever reason is simply more painful and therefore they seek out relief and hope in other substances, in other attitudes and other ideas, or in the abject sense of the word, it becomes drugs and alcohol. Now, when we speak about co-occurring disorders, what we say is that almost every addict or alcoholic in a general sense experiences at least some form of mental illness. Now, for the sake of our discussion, when I speak about forms of mental illness, whether it be anxiety or depression, I am not speaking diagnostically. I am not attempting to describe the diagnosis of individuals. When the DSM-5 or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual or the world of psychiatry as it exists nowadays in 2019 discusses anxiety and depression, it is my clinical and personal opinion that each and every person, quo human being, Being born into this world is already enough of a reason for a person to experience a basic level of anxiety and depression. When a person experiences the symptoms of anxiety and depression to the point that it begins interfering with their lives, at that point, the discussion with regards to diagnosis and treatment and possible medication begins. But when it comes to discussing anxiety and depression, it is not a question Of difference in type, it is not a question of whether you have it or not, it is simply a question of difference in degree. Each and every person, quo human being, experiences a certain level of angst, a certain level of melancholy, a certain level of brokenness, simply as being a creature in this world where suffering abides to an extent that is much larger than enjoyment. But when it comes to a point where it begins interfering with your ability to function, that's when we speak of diagnostics. So when I speak about anxiety or depression, by no means is it coming to belittle the actual experience of the diagnosis of these forms of mental illness, but it is to speak more to the human experience and the universal condition of anxiety and depression that abides within each and every individual simply as a result of them being alive in this world. Now, much of my view of psychiatry in this topic is taken from the Svarim of Ishbitz and Radzin, where famously there's a statement by the rabbis, by Chazal, that say, No la adam shalo nivra. It would have been easier for an individual had they not been created. Ishbitz and these tzaddikim that come from the world of Kotz, that come from the world of Simcha Bunim of Pshischa, and that come from the world of the Yid Kadosh understood that the fundamental experience of the soul in this world is the sheer confrontation with this worldliness not escaping this world through fantastical concepts of spirituality or transcending the world through Kabbalistic or mystical tendencies, but rather for the Yid HaKadosh and from Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa and for his student, the Katzka and the Katzka disciple, Rav Mordechai Yosef of Ishbitz and Rav Tzadok HaKohen Meleblin and the different Sadiqim of Ishbitz and Radzin, the fundamental experience of the soul was one of sheer confrontation with the true reality of this worldliness with all of its brokenness and all of its darkness, to reveal the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to reveal the light of calmness and spirituality within the shell of darkness. So when they interpret this statement from Chazal, which says, It would have been easier for a person had they not been born, because this world is filled with suffering, like we saw from Rabbi Nachman in the first year when he doubts the even existence of this world because all he sees is Gehenim, all he sees is hell and suffering. The Ishbitzer and his son are very clear to make a, a proper reading of this text. The text says, sh- adam sh- niv- sh- sh- It would have been easier and more pleasant for an individual to have not been born. But the Ishbitzer says, be careful to understand the statement of Chazal properly. It does not say it would have been better. It does not say a person would have been better off had they not been born, because it's nimneh It's clear and apparent that once we're born, once we exist within this world, now we have an opportunity to find light within this world that was hitherto inaccessible. It simply means that it was easier. It doesn't mean that it would have been better that we were not born. Being born and living in the conditions of this world with the anxiety and with the depression that abides, simply due to the nature of being stuck in the pattern of time, which sees things in the past and becomes depressed about it or sees things in the future and becomes anxious about it. The Ishbitzer are saying it simply would have been easier. That making a statement that this world is a world of toil, that this world is a world of effort, So that when we look at it from a diagnostic perspective, everybody, quo human being, experiences a certain level of anxiety and fear over the future, or depression and sadness over the past. Now, when the broken heart becomes detrimental, is when a person finds themselves looking at the world and simply seeing more darkness than light. When a person looks at their circumstances, When a person looks at what has befallen them and what actions they have engaged in and what lifestyles they have engaged in, and a person sees that because of our track record, because of the behaviors that we've been engaged in, because of the things that we've been stuck in for so long in spite of our best efforts to try and move away from those patterns of behavior, a broken heart in that situation very often gives birth to hopelessness. And in this state of hopelessness, In the state of no longer feeling that my behaviors and my free will and my ability to choose can dictate what the future of my life looks like, the brokenheartedness gives way to sadness. And this sadness or this depression is not the opposite of happiness. It's not that a person doesn't have something to be happy about, but rather it is the condition where a person lacks the ability to feel alive when atzvus and sadness and depression take root of a person because of what they see in the world or because of what they see in their personal lives or because of what they see in others around them. When that gives birth to an atzvus, when that gives birth to a constriction of the self, a concaving of the self internally, whereby the self loses hope in the possibility of hope, that is when atzvus, that is when this broken heart is not going to be beneficial. When a person lives with that brokenness, when a person looks at the world and sees more darkness than there is light, that is when a person's sadness, that is when the depression that keeps a person stuck in their behaviors is detrimental, dangerous, and quite possibly the number one root cause of the issues that a person gets stuck in. That when a person loses hope, when a person is miyayesh, as Rabbi Nachman would refer to it, when a person loses hope in the possibility of changing for the better, of elevating experience from the level that it is at right now to a level that is better than what is right now, that is when a person gets stuck. And that stuckness, that brokenness, where a person, instead of the possibility of seeing openness and hope in the world, find themselves only looking at the shattered, broken parts of shvirata kelim, of the souls of chaos that we discussed last week, that is when this personal attitude leads to a darkening of the self. And when a person finds themselves in that position, when a person looks out onto the world and sees darkness and pain and suffering, both personal and collective, at that point, the attempt to self-medicate, the attempt to escape, the attempt to rip a certain level of pleasure from this world and our lives is quite reasonable. When a person suffers from this baseline level of anxiety and depression, when a person lives with the anticipatory fear of the future, the unnameable condition that is anxiety that says something is wrong, I can't quite name exactly what it is, but something unnameable is wrong, And because of its unnameability, I'm incapable of responding to it. Or a person lives stuck in the depression of the past where they say, the missed opportunities that I have experienced, the things that I can no longer fix, overtake my ability to fix things. When a person lives their lives with that posture, it makes every sense in the world for them to seek escape. And if a person doesn't have the socioeconomic or familial conditions that support them in that situation, then it's very possible that the next best thing this person is going to find is some substance that provides for them the momentary feeling of well-being. Like we said in the first year, substance abuse is not simply substance in the context of a drug or a drink, but it's substance in the philosophical sense of the platonic substance, which is meaning, which is basis, which is substantiality, which is the sense that life means something to me. So substance abuse when a person finds themselves stuck in addiction to any drug, there's always already an attempt to become addicted or to abuse the concept of substantiality, to find a ground that I could stand on, to find a home base within a chaotic world. And when a person finds themselves in atzviz, when a person loses hope, when a person no longer finds it possible within this world to draw down concepts of spirituality or idealism, then it makes every sense in the world for a person to find themselves stuck in self-destructive patterns of trying to find artificial relief, of trying to connect themselves to some sort of relief that takes them out of this world. Now, it is specifically in this space of atzvos, in this space of sadness and broken and the overwhelming feeling of hopelessness that a person feels from moment to moment when confronting a world that is very often filled with suffering and pain, that a person can find the possibility of recovery and the possibility of hope and beneficial behavior. Because when you take an accounting of the personality type, of the neshamos of Olam hatohu, that Rav Kook described in last week's Shir as neshamos that desire so much more from this world than what this world has to offer, who kick at any of the limited ideas of pleasure, who spit at any of the ideas of meaningfulness because it's so small in their eyes, because what they desire is something large and big and substantial, that when we're talking about souls like this, we're always already speaking about an archetypal pattern. That it is my clinical and personal opinion that when something sad happens, say a bird dies, and there are five children that confront this dead bird, four out of five of those children will be normal children and they look at that bird and they will laugh and they will feel the meaningless of it and they will poke at it and they will think it is an exciting experience one out of five of those children, one out of five of those personalities, when they confront the brokenness of what a dead bird actually means on a philosophical or conceptual level, what it means to be aware of loss, what it means to be aware of the fact that that young bird had a family, that that young bird is not going home to where it came from. And the imagination takes itself to a place where that young child begins to empathize with the pain of the world. That individual, that child who can't laugh at that bird on the floor, who can't laugh at that fox on the floor, is the child who has a much more likely chance of feeling the need to escape life. Meaning to say that addicts and alcoholics or the archetype of the addict is the sensitive soul as William James would say. It is the sensitive personality that feels the pain of everyday life more so than other people to the extent that the attempt to escape the pain of life is almost reasonable for the addict. Because when they look at the world, they're filled with an atzvus. They're filled with this deep realization that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Like we said last week, these neshamas of Olamatohu, they come from a place where there was so much light that it couldn't enter into this world. They come from a place where there was too much light. There was a reboy ore and the kalim, the vessels could not contain it. And these individuals are so sensitive to this, their heart is so broken by the suffering of the world, their heart is so broken by the day-to-day experiences, the lowercase t traumas, the traffic jams of life, the putting your hand into your pocket, expecting a quarter and finding a nickel, which for that individual forces them to question, why are things not the way I want them to be? Why should it be that this world is broken? Why should this world not be perfect? And they're forced to try and find artificial perfection. And quite frankly speaking, for the addict who is finding hope in opiates, lo Lenu, heroin offers momentary perfection for an individual. And they feel, wow, this is what I've been searching for my whole life. That as Gabra Mate points out, the heroin addicts of the world are not saying, wow, I enjoy the high of opiates. What they're saying is that heroin feels like when I was sick at five years old, my mother came into my room and rubbed me on the back and put a blanket around me and gave me a bowl of chicken soup. That that experience of calm, that quieting down of the marirus hanefesh, of the brokenness and bitterness of spirit, is very often the only taste of shalva, the only taste of peace that these individuals have. And each and every one of us on our own particular level, in spite of the fact that we don't find ourselves stuck in these patterns of addiction, understand this experience, that there are things that we become stuck in that there are behaviors and attitudes and thoughts and patterns of emotional distress that we get stuck in and ruminations and obsessions simply because they make us feel a little bit better in this world. And when we feel pain strongly, when the soul comes from a place of chaos, when the soul comes from a place of the promise of a reboy or of so much light that we know the possibility of pleasure in this world, so it's reasonable. A certain extent to seek escape, but these individuals who experience addiction are also primed for recovery because what it takes for recovery is to take this merirus, is to take this atvus and transform it and to flip it around and to reverse it into a spiritual potency that allows the individual to find essence and substance in this world unlike anything else, that the Balchuva, that the soul of chaos, the neshama of Kayin, the neshama from the school of Beishamai, the severe thought, the severe individual who feels pain more strongly, they are the ones who are capable of finding within their experiences an attitude that can propel them to a place where even Sadiqim Gemurim don't have access. Like we said last week with regards to the difference between the soul of Rabbi Elazar Ben Dordayev, the Russia, the, the Balchuva, who dies in repentance, the addict, the addict who, when he comes to terms with his powerlessness, when he comes to terms with how far and low and broken he is, is incapable of living with himself. And he transcends to the next level of experience. He becomes a new person. And Rabbi Huda Hanasi, the Tzaddik says to him, You're Rebbe, you're a teacher of mine. And in the place that the repentant or the recovering individual is capable of standing, the truly righteous individual has no access. Those who don't experience the pain of this world, those who don't understand the statement of the Ishbitzer in the name of Chazal that it would have been more comfortable not to be born, they don't understand the potency of what this life has to offer. Those who don't understand the pain of confronting loss the pain of confronting disorder, the pain of confronting suffering in any of its myriad manifestations cannot understand the blessing and the doubled experience, the doubled portion that the recovering individual has, that the Balchuva has, the yeser she'es, the expanded force that we can confront life with. And it is dafka in this place of atzvas, dafka in this sensitivity, dafka in this melancholia, in this brokenness of spirit, in this in the brokenness of the soul, that the individual has the capacity of transforming their abject experience of addiction and brokenness into a profoundly spiritually refined experience of recovery and redemption. And what we're going to look at now is how within the Atzvah's experience, within the sensitivity of the soul that sees the suffering more profoundly, Therein lies the potency of recovery as well, and what we're going to start with is a profound statement from the Balhatanya. Now, really, unlike any sefer in history, and by no means does this need any haskama, the sefer Hatanya, Tanya Kadisha, Lukute Amarim, discusses the experience, discusses the experience of the addict or the potential addict in terms that no other tzaddik has ever described. That, and I showed the wrong sefer, I showed the Mitla Rebbe's contrast, which I'll show after, this is Tanya. The Bal in his description of the phenomenology of the Beinoni, the phenomenology of the in-between individual, and Beinoni has been interpreted and translated in various ways. Some people have described it as the potential man, the potential individual, the person who is always perpetually in the process of becoming. Or the bainoni, the way I like to describe it, is the liminal experience. The bain in between things, stuck in between stages. The bainoni is that spiritual potency, that individual, that personality type that finds themselves in this world, that finds themselves living under the conditions of this worldliness with all of the suffering that abides, with the painful awareness that things can be better. That painful awareness that things can be better is the root of suffering. Because for a person to live a quiet life of desperation without being aware that things can be better, so then it's not such a tsara. Then it's not na'yach adam Being alive is great. Being in this world is wonderful. It's only for those souls, for that spiritual potency which abides within each and every one of us that knows that things can be better. That knows that this world has so much more to offer because this world comes from HaKadosh Baruch This world comes from in Sofiut but because this world can contain it, because the shvira takes place, because things break down, we're stuck in a deferred property of this world, which is broken and suffering. But those souls, those in-between souls, those benonim that understand that things can be better, that's where the pain comes from. And as I said, that's very often the underlying, underlying root of the attempt to self-medicate from the pain of this world. Now, The story that summarizes the Sefer of Tanya for me is the story that when the Balatanya was writing Tanya, he gave the manuscript to a chassid of his who was traveling to uh, a a city that was going to have more of a population, more businesses, more hotels, more of a populace. And he told this individual to carry the Sefer of Tanya and to report back to him exactly what happens. And the, and the story goes as follows. And this is a story that is has Mesorah in, in Hasidus Chabad. That this individual, this chassid, when he was in this town, decided to go to the theater. He decided to go and see what culture was at that point. And after he had sat during the show, after he had sat and seen this experience, he was sitting and learning a paracontine. And an usher comes along. An usher, a secular individual, someone who had no connection to religion, religiosity, spirituality, comes over and asks him what he's reading and the person shows him the cover and he says, Tanya," and the usher nods his head and says, very nice. And when this person comes back, this Hasid came back to the balatanya and the balatanya says, "New? tell me, did anything happen? Did you experience anything out of the ordinary? And the person at first says no and the balatanya pushes him more and he remembers this experience. He remembers that, yes, I was at this this theater and the usher came over to me and he said, he asked me what I was reading and he nodded his head and he said, very good. And when this chassid told that to the Balatanya, the Balatanya was said to have experienced a joy that was not experienced typically. But the Balatanya was very excited about this. Now, the best part of the story is the end of the story. In Masorah Chabad, there's a machlokes as to who this usher was. Who is this usher? Who is this person? Who was this individual who nodded his head and said very good when he looked at the Sefer Tanya that brought such joy to the Balatanya? And there's two Masoros. One Masora says he was the head of the 36 hidden tzaddikim. One Masora says this usher, this ostensibly secular individual was truly the most righteous of the righteous. And because he agreed to the holiness of Tanya, that was a haskama that the Balatanya needed. But it's the second tradition that I want to focus on. It's a second tradition that shows us that the safer of Tanya is the safer of the recovering individual. Because instead of, in this story, being the head of the 36 Sadiqim, this usher was the head of the 36 Rasha'im. This usher was the lowest of the low, the darkest of the dark, the polar opposite, the binary opposite of the Balatanya in this world. And even he, even darkness, even Marashrayra, even depression, even suffering, had to agree to the holiness of Tanya. The entirety of Tanya is about taking that which appears to be anti-Kedusha, taking that which appears to be contrary to the experience of holiness in the world, and showing that even that which is contrary to holiness, at the end of the day will be forced to admit to holiness. In the words of the Zohar, it's the eskafya and the ishafcha. It's the ability to force unholiness to admit to holiness. Or to take darkness and transform it into light. Or as the Zohar says, to take Mariru, to take bitterness and brokenness of spirit, and transform it into Kedusha, transform it into Simcha and Ahava. It is this that the Tanya comes to show. And what I'm going to be reading from right now is the 31st parak and Tanya. The 31st parak, which looks at this condition, which looks at this condition that so often leads to the addictive possibility of being stuck and desiring comfort from a world that feels painful, where Daika specifically, the Balatanya finds redemption and relief. The Balatanya says as follows, after describing in a few lines, the danger of atzvas, the danger of depression, the danger of feeling hopeless in this world, the danger of coming into contact with Yeyush, of suffering, the Balatanya says as follows, he says, but when a person applies these attitudes to themselves in a spiritual sense, when a person feels broken and bitter within themselves, not because of some external broken cause, but because of the internal nature of themselves, the Balatanya says as follows. He says, afal afal nevertheless, Harikahi hamida.'" that in spite of the brokenness, in spite of the bitterness of spirit, this is the attitude that we need to develop in our lives, in this world, is that we need to fight the sitra akhra we need to fight the underbelly, the hither side of our experiences, the darkness of this world with its own weapons. We need to sweeten the bitter with the bitter itself. Like Chazal say, that from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. That the forest, which is representative of the illness, of the Merirus, of the Atzvus, from within Atzvus itself comes the solution to Atzvus. This is what the Arizal means, this is what the Zohar means when it says, that we sweeten judgments specifically in their root, because at their root, they contain within themselves the potency of the cure. Now, this is not simply expressed by tzaddikim. This is expressed by psychologists and philosophers as well. Jacques Derrida, the French Jewish philosopher, who in his pushing away of Judaism expresses more Judaism than most people will ever express in their lives, when he's discussing the condition of addiction, he roots it back to the philosophical concept of the pharmacon something that Plato discusses. And in his book, Dissemination, Derrida writes, that the pharmakon, which is the Greek root or the Latin root for the word pharmacy, which becomes the place where a person receives cures for their conditions, that pharmakon in its translational essence, in its etymological root, means both the poison and the cure. That when it comes to understanding pharmacology, when it comes to understanding the narco-culture that constitutes our lives, this attempt to escape the world that so much of us and so much of population finds themselves stuck in it's not two separate things but rather it is one experience that can be viewed in two ways that the experience of addiction is both the poison but it also offers us the cure like the ramban said that the bitter waters need to be sweetened through the bitter tree itself that Mamtik mar bemar. that akadosh baruch's way of curing is curing from within the illness itself that from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe and the Balatani continues, and he says, and this is what Shlomo Melech means when he says, "Behold Eitzhav Yeh In any condition of sadness, in any condition of brokenness, a person is going to find motar, a person is going to find some sort of profit, that in spite of the fact that it's a negative experience, one that forces a person to confront the brokenness of reality, it also offers a doubled portion, an ability to find within that experience, a gift of recovery and a gift of more life. And here the Balatanya is going to condition his remarks in saying that the true sign of a sweetening of sadness, of a sadness or a bitterness that actually gives birth to movement and betterment of the self instead of a brokenness and a running away from life and all manners of addiction, is the joy that comes about afterwards. The Balatania says, That in truth, when we're speaking about this condition, this feeling of being far and distant from the ideal, of not living our lives to the best way that we can live it, of being pushed away from some primary ideal, of being pushed out and beyond of some primordial, Edenic experience where things were perfect, of being born, really, that's not what atzvas means. When we speak about that, that's what we call mariras. That's a bitterness, which the Balatani is going to see as a positive attitude. Because atzvas. what is sadness? Sadness is when a person's libo metumtum, a person's heart is is broken, impoverished, closed, poisoned, ke'evan, like a stone. It's a sadness that doesn't give birth to hope. It's a sadness that says there is no hope. It's a sadness that, like Rabbi Nachman would say explicitly in Tichos mm-hmm. Saran, Os Mem, Mem Aleph, Os Chaf, Rabbi Nachman speaks about this more than the Balatania does. It's an atzvas that doesn't give birth to Simcha, that doesn't give birth to hope, that only leads to losing hope, that only leads to Yeyush. But when we talk about Mariris, when we talk about the bitterness of spirit that constitutes the individual, the Balchuva, the recovering individual, to find hope in this world more than what the world has to offer. That's something entirely different. Adaraba harayesh chayus belibo. When a person has a merirus, when a person has a bitterness over the condition of the world, over the brokenness of the world, over the brokenness of their experience as an individual and collectively speaking, and this is true for any amount of suffering, the soul of Tohu that Ravkuk discussed last week, the soul that comes from a place that is deeply aware of how much light can actually penetrate into this world, the soul that desires the ideal so much that it can't survive in the reality of the world because it wants something better, that soul understands that when it's mar, when there's a bitterness, adara there's a, a, a liveliness in its heart. palel, to be moved. marmer, to question itself, to murmur within itself. Rakshi chayus medokhinos givuros kedoshos except this experience is one that comes from the Gevuros Kedoshos. It's an experience of severity. It's an experience of pain. But this pain and this severity is one that touches the kernel of the soul more than joy does. Like the Rebbe Rashab says in Shasha Hekdimu Taf Ayin Reish Beis, he says something remarkable. The Rebbe Rashab says, following his great-great-grandfather, the Balatanya, he says as follows, zehu Klal Gadol, that this is a general principle, that Hanefesh Magia Hanefesh, that the pain and the bitterness of the soul reach a place that is loftier than the pleasure of the soul, the Eno because even the truest form of pleasure, pleasure from spiritual concepts, pleasure from spiritual concepts and psychological concepts. That doesn't touch the essence of the soul like the bitterness of the soul does. Like the Pasuk says, that I call out from within the constriction of myself. From within the constriction and the suffering of myself, specifically, that which pains the individual because of their distance from the ideal, because of their distance from the way the world actually should be. Specifically, this experience of merirus, of bitterness, of the feeling of why is the world like this and not the way it's supposed to be, which animates the experience of the addict and gives them the possibility of recovery, this is specifically what gives them pain the distance from godliness, the distance from the ideal. And when we experience this condition in our soul, this brokenness, this bitterness within ourselves, that's what gives us the ability to connect to God in a deeper way. And the Rebbe Roshab says as follows, somebody who needs to jump over a large pit. In order to jump over a large pit, a person needs to deepen their experience, collect themselves, gather strength from the deepest recesses in their lives, the deepest recesses in their personalities, to overcome this mania, to overcome the brokenness, to overcome the void and the gap in their lives. To run away from the brokenness, to find light in the brokenness of the world, is to utilize a deeper expression of the self, one that comes from the marirus, one that comes from the marirus that in its essence comes from the root word of ram, of elevation that it is daika and specifically in our sense of the brokenness of things, the sense of the unfairness of things, the asymmetry of the world, the suffering of the world, the shattered vessels of the world, like we discussed last week, that's what gives birth to the tashuka. That's what gives birth to this deep desire of the addict or the potential towards addiction to find hope within their experiences. And in this sense, we can begin to understand the famous statement attributed to the Kotzke Rebbe in the name of his Rebbe of Simcha Abunam of Pshischa. She'ein davar shalem yoter Like Naomi Shemer writes in her song based on the Kotzke Rebbe, that there is nothing more whole than a broken heart. Why is there nothing more whole than a broken heart? Because it's specifically in the recognition of brokenness of this world the recognition of the fact that things are not the way they're supposed to be, that the Mashiach has not come yet, that the ideal has not been realized and things are broken still, that is what gives the person the ability to open themselves up to the possibility that we need to yearn and desire for more. That this Merirus that suffers because it doesn't have what it wants, that is the primary condition of the Evet Hashem. That is the primary condition of being a human being. What recovery teaches us, what 12 steps teaches, is that the bitterness and the brokenheartedness of recognizing that we are limited and broken human beings is the fullest expression of being a human being. That the hakara of our lack, like we're going to discuss next week, that the recognition of our deficiency as a human being is part and parcel of what it means to be a human being. It is not some accident. It is not some bidi evad that needs to be deferred, but rather it is in and of itself the truest expression of the soul. That it is the hunger, it is the desire, it is the yearning for something much more than this world has to offer, which is very often the deepest expression of the spirit. But when it gets caught up in this worldliness, in the poisonous toxins that offer a semblance or a lie of comfort, that's when it becomes addiction. But when we can redirect, like Carl Jung wrote in his letter to Bill W., the founding father of Alcoholics Anonymous, like we discussed in the first year, when he writes that the addict or the alcoholic doesn't want to get high. They don't want to feel good. What they want is wholeness. What they want is a feeling of being okay in this world, and all they find is suffering. So when we talk about lev Nishbar, when we talk about the atzvas that a person feels when looking at the world, yes, on the one hand, this is the poison. It's the mariris. It's the bitter waters that lead a person to seek artificial sustenance and artificial joy in this world but it's also the propelling agent that allows the individual to force themselves to seek benefit and seek comfort and seek meaning in the darker areas of life in the gavuros of life, like the, like the balatanya says they are the individuals who are capable of taking the marirus of taking the brokenness and bitterness of this world and being to light and like we saw in the entirety of our Shiram on rafkuk and the leshem this is the purpose of creation. The purpose of creation is to bring light down specifically into the areas of darkness itself. Now next week, Bezra Hashem, what we're going to be discussing is where this bitterness comes from. What is the ontological root of this bitterness? And we're going to see in the writings of all of our tzaddikim that it comes from the hakaras hachisarum, the recognition that simply as human beings, quo human beings, our perfection paradoxically speaking, is our acceptance of our essential lack. That it's only when we realize that we're imperfect and we will always be imperfect, that we reach the level of perfection which allows us to continue yearning and to continuing desiring for something holy and sublime.